delighted to be joined by Lindsay Skinner. Lindsay is currently head teacher at St. James School, Exeter, which is also the school she went to as a child. She was first published after writing a piece that she was passionate about and sending it into various papers where it was picked up by The Guardian. Lindsay writes resource books for English teachers and is also working on two new books, a resource book aimed at primary teachers on crafting brilliant sentences and a book detailing experiences from her working life. Welcome, Lindsay. Great to have you on the, on the call. Thanks. Good to so, be here. Just, just to frame the um, frame the questions, uh, we'll be starting with six opening questions, more general questions about becoming an author. Um, then we'll move on to, to your top three tips, um, and then to finish off, we'll uh, we, we have a question submitted by the ISN uh, member of the ISN community. So my first opening question, Lindsay: um, Why should educators think about writing or becoming an author? Um, I think. Like, firstly, who knows an English teacher who doesn't secretly want to be a writer? I think, like, most people have this sort of quiet sense that um, they want to write something. So, firstly, I think people should do it because they, they enjoy it and they want to. But I do also think that there's something about um, giving back to the teaching community and um, the educating community because like resourcing takes a really long time. And when you've got a really quality resource or some great ideas, the idea that through writing, we can expand that network and mean that many, many people uh, in England, but internationally too, are able to then share those ideas and use those ideas in their classroom. And the impact that that can then have, I think is a really positive thing. Um, and I think writing is a lovely way to do that because, you know, you can share ideas and on Twitter and, and through blogs and all of that, I think, is is brilliant as well. Um, but through writing, it becomes a process where um, where you've also got an editor and you've also got um, other creatives adding ideas in and refining the ideas. And so the level of quality that you get and the reach that you get is really gross. And so, um, yeah, I think I mean, I think it's a really brilliant thing. I would recommend it for anyone. And, and how is that that journey? How how um, how easy is it to sort of get published? Um, I, I think it's probably different for different people. So for me, I'd like I'd wanted to be a writer from when I was like a tiny child, um, and and was always like writing little books and you know all of those kind of things as a, as a child. And uh, but I just never had been, and then I'd ended up being a teacher, and it just didn't really feel like I ever had the time to do anything other than be a teacher or recover in the holidays when I was also doing loads of marking. So um, so I think it can feel quite difficult. But um, I was fortunate because I was working for Pixel, um, and they were doing presentations across the country. Um, and actually, in this particular instance, I was doing one in Wales, and uh, there was another speaker. Julia and Julia um, happened to just get chatting with me at a table and we ended up sp spending the day together and she at the very end of our conversation of spending the day together mentioned that she wrote for HarperCollins and I said oh wow that's my dream she said oh, I'll put you in, in touch and so I then ended up having a conversation with an editor so so for me it probably ended up being that I, I kind of got in just because I met somebody but I do think it is really possible now, particularly with Twitter and LinkedIn, to find the person that you want to pitch your book to. And as long as you've got clarity of idea, contact them with a with a brief overview. And, and if they're interested, they will get in touch. Because one thing that um, I always kind of had thought about publishing was that it was, you know, it was kind of a reserved club for, for people and you had to know particular people to get in. But, but I think I've learned is that they're always just 
looking for the best ideas and for exciting ideas and they're up for publishing anything that they think will do really well and excite people so i think find who you want to pitch to and whether that's through someone you know or through twitter or through linkedin and then when you've done that um have absolute clarity about your pitch and approach people and don't be afraid to to approach people because um i think the journey into publishing is is easier than than people fear it is and so um it's definitely worth doing brilliant and and how should potential authors figure out um or start to think about who their audience is yeah that's an interesting one i think it probably depends if they're you know if, if authors are writing fiction or if they're writing non-fiction and um i mean in in a, the educational publishing that i've been doing largely the audience has been teachers right so but not every teacher uses a resource like this and so um so for me it was about thinking okay well what are the key problems that people face in the classroom and then can my book be a solution to that and so with crafting brilliant sentences which is the one i feel like it was the first one i pitched but the one i filmed but not the first one i published actually but it was the first one i pitched um it's the one I feel most excited about um, because I feel like a lot of English teachers had this thing with kids where they would write a paragraph, a paragraph of what they thought was one sentence and there would be a capital letter at the start of the paragraph and a full stop at the end and then a series of horrible comma splices all the way throughout. And I hated that as a practitioner when, when I was younger. I remember emailing Debbie Myhill who taught me to teach and who is a terrific um, grammarian but also researcher and she, I said, like, Debbie, how do you get kids to write in sentences? She was like, well, if you ever figure that out, you're going to make loads of money. I was like, all oh, right, OK, I haven't yet. But, you know, we'll, we'll wait. Um, and, and so it was clearly a problem for me. And then when you contact someone like Debbie, she was like, it's a complex answer. So it, it became apparent to me that there was like a, not a hole in the market, but like an area that needed support. Um, behavior is another one. There's loads of areas, I think, um, you know, the gap with disadvantage where we see in education that there's a clear gap. And I think considering where your gap might be and how your writing can fill that gap, that tells you who your audience is, because you, then your audience is everyone who's got that problem which is a large one it's only really when you've got a more niche idea that um your audience is much narrower um and so really yeah for me it's just i think identifying a really key area in education that that needs an input and then your then your audience is everyone in education rather than just just being quite a narrow one and once you sort of narrow down your audience, how, how should potential authors ensure they are considering non-native English speakers um, when, when writing too? Yeah, I think this one, um, this one is a difficult one. I think um, one thing that, you know, you could talk about clarity of, of sentences and structure and, and all of that kind of stuff. And I do think that's important, particularly um, to, in order to write clearly, particularly for non-native speakers, although perhaps maybe not for Germans because the verb comes so late often in their language but um, having the main clause as, as close to the front of the sentence as possible I think can really help add clarity but actually I think that um, one of the things that is is helpful um, with engaging a more international audience is actually just being aware of your potential lack of diversity in the text and in the examples that you choose um, because I think it's really easy to to just see from the perspective that you that you are from right and so um you know, I've been working on some books with um, Collins, um, the Who We Are series, where we've we've tried to include a range of texts so that every child feels seen. Um, and 
you know, we've included authors from across the um, diasporas. And I think that to me is an exciting way to engage an international audience so that the, the texts that you use and the examples that you use are so wide ranging that people feel that it, it sees them and it engages with them and their life. So one, yeah, clarity in terms of writing. And I think that can be done quite easily by moving the main clause. Um, but, but for me, it's more about the emotional engagement and the, um, the ability to use these in their own scenario. And before you begin the writing process, do you have a clear idea about the purpose of your, of your piece? Yeah, so um, for me, I'm not the kind of person who would be able to find myself any level of motivation if I didn't have absolute clarity about um, what, what the point is so um so when i had my first meeting with my editor kathy um when i'd been introduced by by julia i i literally went with like a full-blown pitch and it and it was just because um i i think yeah for me it's about finding a problem and how you can solve it if you're creating resources um and so i have I begin with planning out, it's on paper actually for me, not, not on the computer, which is probably a bit old school, but I, I plan everything out on big um, A3 bits of paper, like what, what the point is, how it might be structured and, um, and who the audience is, and then go to the editor with that pitch. Um, and then that allows me to kind of make sure that um, I can structure things well, I think. Um, yeah. so. So that that's for me. I mean, I I don't really know how you could write without a clear sense of kind of where you're going. It's a very kind of old school English teacher thing to say, isn't it? Like you must know your audience, you must know your purpose, you must know your form. But I do think that um, that that's a good place to start because otherwise, I think it's quite easy to run out of steam or for your piece to just be quite meandering. And I suppose is there a danger that if if you try and figure out the purpose as you go, you could sort of get get lost in the in, in the content and that that can be quite a, a dangerous path to go down perhaps or, or would you say that is a potential other other avenue that that will form as you as you write it I think it right so in fiction I totally get the whole Alice Walker let the characters come to you and just see how it evolves and just totally when I write fiction I find that characters surprise me and I'm like oh you're gonna do that are you like which is almost bonk I'm aware that, that makes me almost bonkers um definitely with fiction it finding its own narrative and evolving in a way that might surprise you, I, I, I totally get. I, I find that less with, uh, when you're writing text to support teachers, the whole point is that they need a structure to support them in their lessons and something that they can dip into either parts of or, or, or take as a whole. And so if you don't have clarity um, right from the off, there's a real potential that it will lack clarity as an overall piece. And that might come out in the editing process, but, um, you know, the editing process potentially can be um, painful. So I'll just avoid that by having clarity in the first place. Excellent. And what exciting opportunities does, does being an author um, offer? Oh, it's just, it's just lovely, isn't it? Like, um, firstly, having your own book actually printed um, feels, I, I can't even describe it, it feels glorious it is such a lovely thing you get you get it in the post and yeah I so ran I don't know why seven but I got seven when I very first was published and they sent them in the post and then you open them up and it's like oh, my name is on the front of a book ah! um and the, um I don't even know why that feels so lovely but it really does but actually 
in terms of opportunities, you know, it's, thing, it's things like this and um, people knowing you for particular strands of work. So, you know, um, people associate me with crafting sentences and, and that, that kind of work, which is, which is nice. Um, but, but more importantly than anything around like how I feel about it, uh, what I love is, particularly with something like Crafting Brilliant Sentences, is that like a third of secondary schools own that book. And that means that kids are learning to write in sentences across the country and like the impact that has that I've been able to have by writing on people's pedagogy and on the learning in classrooms like across the country that to me is an opportunity it's, it's like it's not just the opportunities that it's given me but if those kids can write accurately the opportunities it's given to them um, is quite exciting to me um, and and I feel that like with educational writing because What's nice about educational writing is that you are usually writing for teachers and uh, or leaders or both. And if you impact just one of those people, the sphere of influence that each one of those has is enormous, right? Because they work in schools, they work with hundreds of people every day. Um, so for me, that's the opportunity. Um, there's something really beautiful about being able to create some kind of legacy by impacting teachers who then impact their communities, um, a community that you might never have even been to. And I think that's that's a really nice uh, way into that through through writing. Wonderful. And now moving on to your first first top tip, uh, Lindsay. What's your first first tip for writers? I mean, it, right. So it won't surprise you that my first tip for writing uh, number one is um, that you should structure your texts um, really clearly. Um, so that they are designed as, as functional, well-structured resources. Um, and the reason I say that won't surprise you is because uh, I love structure, I love sentence structures and I love structure as a whole. But I think it's, it's really, really important that people um, work before they, they do any kind of big writing and structure their piece. And, and, um, but I also think that can help, one, it creates clarity and it stops you kind of meandering off. Um, two, it can really help to hold you to account because essentially if you've got a clear structure, you've then got a checklist. And the thing is about being a teacher and also a writer is like finding the time to write is actually, I think, quite hard and quite a challenge. So like I tend to binge write and so, I, you know, it's the summer and I, I certainly set myself a task of writing, you know, this amount of, of said book. So having a really clear structure where each of the component parts, whether it be chapters or sections or whatever, and then, you know, whether it's lesson resources or, or whatever might fill in underneath that, having that structured out really well or on a smaller piece like an article, having um, bullet pointed in, in each kind of large paragraph or section that you're going to talk about is helpful because then after that, what you're able to do is just drop in and out and you can even write it out of order. So when I was writing Crafting Brilliant Sentences, there were times like over the summer when honestly I couldn't really be bothered to do some writing and I would rather have gone out and gone to the coast or whatever but you know I needed I had a deadline so I needed to write this book so, but because I had structure I was able to jump in and write something that I found um, easier or that was more inside like I love a semicolon so I'd like go in and sit and, and write the semicolon sections um uh, and I really like writing the noun. I found the writing the noun sections of the book really easy so I sort of jumped in and read the easier sections and then when I was and more focused and maybe more motivated, I was able to write some of the other stuff. But because I had the structure, that was what allowed me to do that and continue writing. Whereas if you haven't got that structure really laid out, um, that's harder to do. And I also think it's just having the structure laid out and ticking them off 
is really satisfying. You know, it's like the typical teacher to-do list thing. Just ticking them off is actually really satisfying. I would recommend any kind of structure like that, doing it on paper um, or OneNote so you can do the tick list because um, that, that really helps keep the kind of motivation high. So it creates clarity um, and it also creates motivation, I think are the kind of two things would say about having a clear structure. And and just a, just a question off that really. Um, so you, so you you create your structure on on paper first, um, and then at what point do you then transfer that and work solely on on the computer so that it's easier to sort of manage that, I suppose. Yeah. Um, so at the writing process, so uh, I I do really like to write on paper. Um, but it's just it is totally impractical which i am aware of so um and i try to write uh, by hand on one note with uh, the pen because it can convert your handwriting into um typing but apparently not my handwriting so who knew um so like when we go so we go to like hay festival and stuff like that and i quite often will take a book to write there um and then type it up afterwards but actually for me any, any kind of work that i'm doing properly for a publisher all of the structure I do all on paper. And then the minute it gets to actually writing, it goes straight onto um, computer. And that's actually because often I'm then sending it repeatedly to the editor to get feedback anyway. Um, so yeah, I pretty much always write, write directly onto the computer. Brilliant. And your second top tip, Lindsay. Okay, so um, my second top tip is that uh, think about your syntax and craft sentences that are beautiful. Um, I think I think that syntax really matters, and um, the the rhythm of a sentence and the way the the parts of the sentence are put together really can um, help to engage a reader and um, create a beautiful flow and fluidity to your to your writing. I think. Um, it's worth it's worth playing with sentence structures. Um, so if you you know if you're writing a sentence in your piece, and, and this definitely applies in fiction, and and I think somewhat in in nonfiction too, um, taking a sentence structure and moving the component parts. And there's you know there's an example I quite often use um, um, when I'm talking to people about about writing, and that is. Um, uh, uh, in the dead of night, just out of sight, a man was waiting. Um, and I project it up on the board, but then I project it up in several different ways. So it's a man was waiting just out of sight in the dead of night, or in the dead of night, a man was waiting just out of sight, all the different components, the ways that you could put that together. And then I, I asked the audience like, okay, so which is the most effective? And what's interesting about that is that I don't say what effect I'm trying to create right I just say what's most effective and so they kind of opt for the one that they like the best and that creates the effect presumably that they find the most satisfying but as an as a writer you have already decided what the effect is so for me like if you're trying to create suspense you know just in the dead of night a man was waiting dash just out of sight that for me creates a kind of level of oh oh he's out of sight and that's bad and that bit coming last is quite like but equally it could be it could be in any order i feel like as writers we need to deliberately play with that um and i it's like 
don't be a writer if you don't love sentences. Don't be a baker if you don't like the smell of bread. Like playing with sentences for me is really the crux of where like beautiful writing comes, I think. And how might you find your voice and, and sort of craft a beautiful sentence? Is there a, slight, is there a sort of journey you would go through to, to sort of figure out how, how that might be done? Yeah, definitely um, reading and reading about sentences. So um, there's a, a glorious book, um, how, um, how to Write a Sentence and How to Read One um, is, is a really nice book, is a way in to thinking about how sentences might be structured. Um, and in fact, actually, there's the, in the opening of that, um, it talks about a sentence like um, discovering, you know, I first heard about the package on the way up the stairs or something like that. Um, and then he talks about how like how rhythmically you might make that one. But he's but what he does in that is he talks about how many questions that sentence creates. Cause it's like, so you're on the way up like one, who are you? But you're on the way up the stairs. Is there a reason you're going up the stairs? You heard about a package, who did you hear about it from? What's the package? Because the package is presumably important in some kind of way. Um, and I think that so it just explores that and about how do you create those kind of hooks and gets you thinking about one how do you create hooks in sentences and two how do you structure sentences so that they do that well um and then reading uh fiction i think is probably the best place um uh, much as i uh, you know i feel uncomfortable with the content of the book lolita the opening paragraph of lolita when he talks about the trip of the tip of the tongue on three lolita that rhythmically is a really beautiful piece um and and then the other thing i think if you really want to feel the rhythm and find the rhythms that you like um reading poetry is is the obvious way in um because you'll see lots of lovely rhythms that then can be moved into prose um and i think that the, you you find it yourself if you read aloud your work and so you write a sentence read it aloud think about how it feels in the mouth that you, you you find whether it's nice or not and then you're like oh this feels a bit awkward so it's, it's really common for me to do some writing on my own and then read it aloud to my partner afterwards and um and then be like oh no hang on let's just stop for a second and then I have to rephrase the sentence and then and then go again and then like oh no hang on a minute um until the rhythm feels perfect so I think the reading aloud bit really helps brilliant and then that sort of nicely moves on to your your final top tip yeah, um, so my third tip is that you need to get feedback. Um, it's it's really important, I think, to to get feedback. One, obviously, like that helps you get better. Uh, and the, if you've got a range of people that you can send your work to and ask for candid feedback or rethink that, that does help you get get better at writing. Um, but I also think it's important for confidence. So, like. Um, everyone's kind of got a bit of an imposter syndrome when it comes to writing because everyone wants to wants to write something and then they don't all necessarily get to do that or feel that they can do that um and so having somebody say oh no that's that's actually useful or um or laugh at your writing or whatever it might be is is i think a really important thing to do and hopefully like people will have those people around them um and if they don't have them in their personal life i think that there's quite a good professional network your network where they can share their work and seek feedback um and it, and if they're not quite at the stage where they're ready to do that that i think um writing leaving it for three days and coming back to it to try to come at it critically if you still think it's good after that point share it and ask for feedback because i think one that makes you better but two it will give you the confidence to write and you know like 
you've just got to put yourself put yourself out there but um so like when I when I first wrote my first article I'd, you know, I'd never written an article before other than in the classroom and I just um I'd, I'd been out for dinner and there were several of the couples and um some people had come into the bar that we were in and then one of the couples just dropped hands and didn't want to didn't want to be near each other anymore I was like what like are you okay? Has there been an argument? Like, what's happening? They were like, oh, um, there are some parents over there and we're not out. Uh, they're a gay couple. And uh, I was like, oh, right. And it made me feel really cross because it was like 2015. I was like, guys, how is it that it's 2015 and your Saturday night is so impinged because you're frightened? Um, so I went home and wrote an article about it in a mood um, uh, because that's, that's a good cathartic thing for me to do. And um and I read it and I thought, this is funny and and I think important. I feel like people should read it. So I literally just thought, well, just I'm going to do it. I'm just going to send it off to people. So I sent it to the TES and I sent it to the Independent. I sent it to the Guardian. And much to my surprise, the next day, the Guardian had contacted and said, yeah, we're going to publish this. I was like, wow, okay, that's good. So, so like seeking feedback and putting yourself out there, I think really is worth doing. And, and it ended up being um, the most read of 2015 like it it really it was clearly the time for that article lots of people are like actually yeah the things do need to change here um so i so i think seeking feedback and publishing your stuff putting your stuff out there it's worth it because that's the only way you're going to get anywhere right um and, and Lindsay, just just another question on that um what would you say the benefits of are uh, from getting feedback from loved ones and then from people that um, that you don't know uh, and then you know could potentially um, you know rule out any potential bias maybe yeah I mean obviously there's right if you ask your mum she's probably going to tell you it's great uh, regardless uh, and I totally get that um, although I actually think that it is braver getting kind of feedback from loved ones because they're the people you know, well you love them right and so you want them to think that you're good and also you see them so frequently um, I think that there's a real safety in uh, seeking feedback from strangers. And I also think that's probably the most productive, but it needs to be done somewhere safe. And I think like your platform is, is, a, is a great example of that, where you can put your work out into the world and seek feedback in a way that is going to be constructive and critical, like totally, because that's the point. But, um, but it's from people who, who, aren't biased who know more probably about the the subject area and who can really um boost your confidence because if if people have got no skin in the game think that what you're doing is great then then for me that just seems like um a, a good motivator to to move forward um so I'd, i think totally to get it from your your family and friends too uh, but i think it, that's a different thing that's like more of an emotional thing whereas uh, whereas something like your platform is is really about refining your practice. Brilliant, wonderful. And now we, uh, our, our final question um, is been submitted by by an ISN member, um, and the question is, um, how do you create teaching resources that can be adapted to fit different learning needs? Okay, so yeah, I mean, this is an interesting one because there's always this debate about how do you um, how do you change resources to to adapt people so I think that I'm a believer in teaching to the top uh, so really having decided ideally what everyone would be able to master in your classroom and then I think the job of the teacher is to facilitate it so that everyone can get there so um, what I do usually is st structure the resource so that it simply teaches 
what I would want it to teach uh, without thinking, right, and how do I accommodate the learning needs? And then after, go back to the lesson and say, right, where are the sticking points going to be? Where is it that someone might find it difficult? So, you know, if, if they had this kind of need, what might they be, what might they be struggling with? Or this kind of need, what they might, might they be struggling with? And then I go in and create either additional layers of um, uh, commentary for the teacher of, so these might be the misconceptions, here's what to do about them, uh, which I quite often do in, in brackets uh, in the lesson plan. Or if a child is struggling with this, and I did it with crafting brilliant sentences, if a, if a child is struggling with this particular thing, here's the intervention resource that can go with it that you, you might do. Um, but then as well as focusing on the intervention resources and the misconceptions, I try to thread through my lesson plans, um, commentary for teachers where it says things like, um, you know, set off this task and then go to the group of learners who, or go here and do some guided reading, or you might want to set up your classroom in a way that allows you to, you know, use mini whiteboards so that you can see immediately who does and doesn't get it. And then if there are children who are struggling, you can do ABC with them. Um, so I think starting with the end in mind and having real clarity about wanting everyone to get there, because I think that that's an important part of equity. And then everything is about how do you scaffold the learners who have got additional needs to get there as well. Um, and, and I write that in generally afterwards. Uh, the editors are quite good at helping with that because they say, this seems quite hard, which is code for, you need to put some scaffolding steps in here, Linz. Um, uh, and I think, I think that um, the other thing I would say is that resources can't do everything and that teachers know their kids the best. And though you've got kind of some kind of generic overviews of learning needs, every individual learner is different. And so I think um, teachers taking those resources and helping put scaffolding in themselves when they know their children is 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 obviously totally vital. Wonderful. And thank, thank you so much, Lindsay. That's uh, that's brilliant. That brings us to the end of the conversation. And um, yeah, just just sort of one one more question, I suppose. Um, do you have any sort of upcoming um, books that you have in mind that you're, that you're currently writing or anything that you might like to to tell the audience about that, you, that you've got upcoming? Um, yeah, so a, a few bits. Um, so I'm currently doing the big plans for um, a potential primary crafting brilliant sentences, which is exciting for me. Um, I really feel like, you know, if we can utilize the grammar knowledge that they get in, in primary and um, change that uh, knowledge into a really functional and clever use of, of crafting sentences, that would be brilliant. And you know, this, this time for the first time ever actually writing was the lowest performing um, part of the SATs. And I think that that's, um, that's largely off the back of the pandemic. I think it was it was quite difficult to teach writing online. And I think that there's there's probably some work that needs to go into um, remedying some of the gaps that the kids might have. Uh, but I, I love the idea of, of primary children coming up to our secondaries with um, an ability to not just have that grammar knowledge of being able to label things, but understanding why if you move something here, the effect that that might create and then being able to play with that and that, that sense of play rather than it just being grammar and then feeling like that's a bit boring. Um, so, so yeah, I'm excited about that, um, but that's just in the planning stages. And then um, I'm also quite heavily into um, a piece that is uh, kind of documenting the life of a teacher and it's a, a memoir is too grand a word, but um, it's more of a, a silly kind of diary style piece um, that is, I think, 
both funny and and at some points quite sad but in as it always is in the life of a teacher um so I just I just recently had a, a couple of days where my wife went away and that allowed me to properly write and I wrote just over 14,000 words in two days. This is like really a lot of writing. Um, and I, you know, I, f- I feel excited about that piece too, but I'm hoping that that will be near enough finished by the end of the summer. So then we'll see where that goes. Yeah. Brilliant. Some very exciting stuff in the pipeline then, it sounds like. Um, brilliant. Well, thank you so much again for your time, Lindsay. Um, yeah, some, some great top tips there that I know our audience will, will find super valuable. So yeah, thank you. Thank you once again for your time. Thanks.